Welcome back to the Nutrition Unmeasured podcast. This episode is brought to you by my personal intuitive eating and wellness program. Allow me to be your personal coach through the 10 principles of intuitive eating. During this journey, you will receive a workbook to have throughout, a helpful body positivity journal, access to me at any time, and bi-weekly one-on-one calls to keep you accountable to yourself and motivated to change and find peace with food in your body. If you're looking for intuitive eating covered by insurance, reach out to me at trustyourbodyrd at gmail.com to hear other options. Before getting started today, I'd love to ask for a review. If you're really enjoying this podcast, I promise they only take a few seconds and they really help me grow the listenership. So of course, I would appreciate it so much. Some updates since our last episode. I'm actually recording this on my 41st birthday, which, um, yeah, super exciting. Uh, we are, this is our actually season of birthdays. My husband's birthday was back at the beginning of, or I should say, middle of January. Mine's at the end. And then Cameron's is exactly three weeks after mine. Uh, he's going to be turning seven here pretty soon. Uh, so we're almost, we're actually midway, I guess, at this point uh, through our season of birthdays. And then poor Paige has hers. Uh, all alone in August, which I think she also loves to have, you know, be the only one with an August birthday or really even a summer birthday. So she she hates it, but also loves it at the same time. I'm actually really excited for Cameron's birthday. He is getting a loft bed. I've been, my husband and I have actually been talking about this for a while, getting him uh, really just a bunk bed, but he's got a really small room. So we thought a loft makes a lot more sense uh, so we can actually have that space under his bed to put, you know, other stuff under there. So we're not taking up his whole floor with everything else. He's got no room, essentially, in his little closet space of a room. Uh, so I think he's really going to enjoy having a loft. But I've just been really, I would say, just anxious about the idea of putting him up high. Uh, so now he's seven and I officially feel comfortable with him a, a little bit higher up off the ground. Hopefully, hopefully it's all good. All right, that's really about it as far as updates. I'm really excited for today's podcast topic, really talking about some misunderstood foods and uh, the different things that we see in the media, in journals, on TV, beer foods, things that we should be afraid of, and whether or not we should really be afraid of them. I actually had Sally on the podcast back when I was with Nicole on Dietitian's Dish, and it was really great to have Sally on there. We actually did a very similar episode about food fear-mongering, but we're talking about some different topics today. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce Sally Kuzemchak. She is a registered dietitian, author, and mom. She blogs at realmomnutrition.com, a no-judgment zone all about feeding a family, which features advice on picky eaters, simple, healthy recipes, and science-backed answers to parents' biggest nutrition questions. She's the author of two books, The 101 Healthiest or 101 Healthiest Foods for Kids and Cooking Light Dinnertime Survival Guide, a cookbook for busy families. As an award-winning reporter and writer, Sally has been published in nearly 20 magazines, including Prevention, Health, Family Circle, Eating Well, Fitness, and Parents. So I'm so excited to have Sally on the podcast today. All right, today I have Sally Kazemchek with me. She's a registered dietitian. I've already done her introduction. So Sally, this is the second time you've been on, on this podcast, and I really appreciate you being here. Welcome. Thanks for having me back. 
And as always, uh, some icebreaker questions just to get both of us warmed up for this, you know, interview and to get listeners to maybe know you a little bit better. Let's start with this one. You know, a great dietitian question. What is your favorite food of all time? Like if you had one food that you could eat for the rest of your life, what could, what would it be? Blueberries. <laughs> Blueberries. You know, I always have to get a chuckle when people say like these, you know, quote unquote healthy foods because like I my brain goes so much, so many other places. But why blueberries? I mean, I love blueberries. Tell me about your, your what do you love about blueberries so much? Well, and what's so funny is that just I was just at the grocery store this morning and bought bought this package of expensive out of season blueberries just because I was like, oh, and they look so good. I don't know. I mean, I grew up like picking huckleberries in the woods behind our house and every summer I go and pick blueberries at a blueberry farm and I don't know there I just like can eat them by the handful like I just love them second place though would be maybe like fresh baked bread with butter yeah yes I'm with you on that one okay really quick though going back to the blueberries do you like (laughs) the do you like the really like thick fat ones or the smaller wild blueberry type I mean, they both have their their positives. So mm-hmm. I, I would enjoy a mix of both. I mean, I've had wild, wild blueberries in Maine. You know, I've had the really giant blueberries here at some farms in Ohio um, mm-hmm. and everything in between. So just as long as they're like firm and sweet, like I don't care what size it is. I just love blueberries. Okay. Have you ever had the Bar Harbor blueberry ale? I have not. Oh. Is that a beer? It's a beer and it is delicious. Is yes. it blue? You mentioned Maine. <laughs> I, it, it is not blue. Okay. It is very like typical beer color. <laughs> but it it's very fruity. I don't even like fruity beers at all. Um, but there is something about this beer. It is, I think they sell it here in Columbus at local grocery stores. Ooh. So check it out. Bar okay. Harbor, Blueberry Ale, one of my favorites. Okay. Right. Thanks. Yes, you're very welcome. Uh, next question. The favorite, your favorite place you ever visited or um, for a vacation you've ever taken? Mm, um maybe paris or we went on a family trip out west to a lot of national parks and i loved that so gosh that's so hard i love to travel i really do so yeah probably like either out west like the american west or paris i know that's too cliche but there's something just wonderful about that place no i mean if you've been to paris i I, I bet that would be most people's favorite places i've never been so i I I need to experience french major so that's fun fact about me yeah wait i thought you started out as a now maybe i'm getting you confused with someone else but weren't you also going to be a news broadcaster or like journalism i started out in french and then i moved to english and i wrote for like the um school paper and like concentrated in writing and then i was a magazine writer so okay okay which brings me to your, to the next question, which kind of still what you do. Um, you have multiple uh, talents. Can you just tell listeners a little bit more about you and what you do uh, for your profession? I know you're a dietitian, but what do you do? Yeah, so I'm a dietitian. I'm a mom of two boys who are teenagers now. Um, and I started my blog, Real Mom Nutrition, back in 2009. And I call it a no judgment zone about feeding a family. And sort of concurrent with that, I was a magazine writer for many, many years, uh, writing about food and nutrition. And now um, a lot of magazines have closed, unfortunately. So now I do some online writing and I'm a contributor uh, to WebMD and I write about uh, nutrition for them as well. Yeah, that's great. 
So like I mentioned at the top of this uh, episode or at the top of this interview, you were on, I guess you were on the previous uh, podcast that I had, which was Dietitian's Dish. And with Nicole, we talked about choosy eaters and food media fear mongering. Um, I'll link that that episode in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Uh, but really, you know, Sally, I think you are, I think this is kind of where we bonded. I was I don't know if anyone doesn't know this because they probably don't, but I used to have a blog and it was the Candid RD. My whole goal in life was to really set the facts straight about different things that our media tries to make us afraid of when it comes to food and nutrition. And I and I think that maybe I kind of stopped doing that, but you're still doing it. And like you just said, you're writing um, for, you know, different websites and magazines and a lot of you've put out a lot of great content, which is why I, ha- I have you here today. Uh, so you're on a mission to really debunk popular food myths. Uh, so food really isn't scary or intimidating because it it really shouldn't be. Food should be fun and enjoyable. So you've written a lot of great articles in the past about specific foods or ingredients that have been demonized um, and whether or not the hype is overblown. So today we're just diving into a few of them. And I guess the first one I want to start with is one that I will say I don't hear as much about when I am doing one-on-one coaching sessions with people, but I do know that some people still have questions about it. And that is MSG or monosodium glutamate. It's a flavor enhancer um, that's often added to restaurant foods uh, and lots of, I guess, highly processed foods as well, but also canned vegetables and soups and deli meats. It often gets a bad rap, and I would love for you to set the record straight on MSG, Sally. Sure. So um, as you said, it is, um, it can be added to foods, but it also, you know, it's made from uh, sodium and glutamate. And glutamate is an amino acid, and it, it's found naturally in some foods like aged cheese and tomatoes. So, um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And I didn't know a ton about MSG when I kind of dug in and started to research it, except that there was this sort of um, just sort of this underlying, well, MSG is bad for you and MSG is something you want to avoid. And then once I started digging into it, it was like pretty fascinating, uh, just sort of the backstory, which is in in the late 60s, there was a physician who wrote um, a letter, not not a study, you know, it wasn't one wasn't a research study. It was a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine. And he claimed that he um, had headaches and like heart palpitations after eating Chinese food at a chi- or after eating at a Chinese restaurant. And he said, well, it must have been the Chinese food. And that was sort of dubbed Chinese restaurant syndrome. <laughs> so it was just this like one letter written to this, but because it was like in a journal. And as we know, you know, the letters, it's not like it's, it's not the same as a research study, you know, it's a letter. And so it just sort of developed this reputation that, oh, it causes headaches and it causes this and that. And um, and finally, in the 1990s, the FDA actually investigated and they found that it was safe, but it's that it was possible, like with with a lot of um, ingredients, probably most ingredients, there are some people who might be sensitive to it. So they might sure. get headaches or drowsiness or something, but that is from consuming a lot of it, much more than you would get from, you know, a meal or a handful of chips or whatever. Uh, whatever the the common amount that we would take in. And then it was sort of just this accepted fact that it caused headaches. But they did a study in 2016 and found that there's no proof that it causes headaches. So, um, you know, it's just it's one of those 
things that's just like this urban myth that, you know, MSG is bad for you. And Anthony Bourdain actually said on his show once, um, do you know what causes Chinese restaurant syndrome? Racism. And Mm. so, you know, back in the 60s, there are a lot of Chinese restaurants opening. And, you know, it is very possible that this kind of started as a way to sort of otherize, you know, um, uh, Chinese Americans who were opening, you know, restaurants and, you know, um, having success. And so, you know, that's a really, you know, ugly thing to think about. But it it is very possible that that is, um, you know, that was at sort of the root of some of these rumors about MSG. So as I say, like with anything, you know, sometimes people will come to me and say, well, you know, I have really bad headaches when I eat something with MSG. It's like, okay, then then definitely don't eat it. You know, if you think there is something in food or certain food that causes you any kind of issue, then obviously avoid it. I would never tell someone to eat something that they thought gave them a headache or whatever it is. But if it doesn't, it's not something to be afraid of. In fact, you know, you can buy... Uh, accent the seasoning that's msg and i actually have uh, a little uh, thing of it in my spice cabinet and you can add it and it's actually lower in sodium than just straight salt and you can add just a little bit to soups and other dishes um you know it it sort of just enhances that flavor so um i don't i don't personally scour you know labels for it or you know avoid chinese restaurants or anything like that because once I sort of learned about it, I was like, well, you know, when I eat Chinese food, I don't feel any of those symptoms or if I have a handful of Doritos at a party or whatever it is. So um, I just think it's it's important to know the facts instead of just accepting this like, well, MSG is bad. And it's like, well, let's dig in and see if that that actually has any merit to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also is important to note that, I mean, isn't M- MSG essentially like the the fifth tastes umami i mean isn't that what they kind of base it off of exactly yeah and i mean that's delicious right yeah <laughs> that sort of meaty flavor that yeah the six six taste so six flavor yeah. or whatever they call it so yeah, yeah. no it's delicious <laughs> okay all right let's move on to the next uh the next question for you what about you know this is something i definitely hear i would say very regularly from clients that I work with. And that is that they're trying to avoid processed foods, especially foods that have a lot of preservatives in them. So is there any reason that we should avoid preservatives? Or should I ask, are there certain preservatives that may be worth at least limiting in our diets? So I think this is a little bit tricky because, um, as you know, there's a lot of research coming out about ultra-processed and those are the ones that you kind of think and you know that's not like canned peas or frozen vegetables or something that is you know those those foods that really don't resemble their base ingredients tend to have a lot of ingredients a lot of uh, additives to them and there is uh you know a body of research that's accumulating about ultra processed foods and i i do watch that and i do kind of take that seriously and I think about, um, you know, avoiding lots and lots of processed foods in my diet. Now, that is not to say I avoid all processed foods. I think that's ridiculous. And it drives me crazy when people say things like, don't eat processed foods or don't eat anything in a package. It's like, I don't know what planet you're living on, but <laughs> that's pretty much impossible to avoid foods in 
packages unless you know you grow all of your own food or something like that and just that's just not reasonable for most people so um I have in the past written about a preservative called, uh, I might be mispronouncing this, propriety. It's found in a lot of bread, um, except uh, it's not an organic bread, but in, in regular conventional bread. And there was a Harvard study that that showed uh, that it, it's possible that it's a metabolic disruptor. That was from uh, research in mice that they replicated in a very small group of people, like 14 people. So as mm-hmm. we know, you know, you can't just take one study in mice or one study in a very small group of people and say, well, there's cause and effect there. But in it, and then, and, and propionate is considered, you know, generally, you know, generally regarded as safe by the FDA. But I just think it is, it makes sense to think about ultra processed foods and think about when you can eating either, um, eating less processed foods. And that may still mean eating a processed food, but that could mean, you know, frozen fruits and vegetables or, um, you know, hummus or something that, you know, is quote unquote processed, but it is also kind of close to those ingredients that are in it. You know, you can see, okay, hummus, that's, you know, mashed chickpeas and lemon and tahini and whatever else is in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I do think that I'm not ready as a dietitian and as an eater (laughs) to say like, yay, all ultra processed foods, eat as many of them as you want and you will be fine because, you know, we're, that research is still developing. And, you know, it's not totally clear, uh, you know, where those, where the problems might be with those ultra processed foods, whether it is the ingredients. Some people have said, well, maybe there is something in packaging. You know, we just don't know. So I think until then, I just try to be like as realistic um, and reasonable as I can by, you know, trying to focus on fresh foods, trying to eat less processed, processed foods when I can, but then, you know, accepting that like, you know, ultra processed foods are very delicious. And so, and, and they're easy. And, um, sometimes that's very important. And like you said at the top of the show, like food should be fun and enjoyable too. So I would never want someone to avoid, their favorite foods because they were worried about it containing, you know, more than five ingredients or whatever that, that also drives me crazy. Mm, <laughs> I do not like that. Yes. You know, don't eat anything under more than five ingredients. Like that's ridiculous. So yeah, yeah I, I or, hopefully that makes sense. It, no, it does. Another one that, that gets me is when people say, don't eat anything that has an ingredient that you can't name. Yes. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Come I on. Mean, even some of the simple vitamins and minerals they add to foods are sometimes ha- ha- hard to pronounce and understand. So right. ascorbic acid sounds really scary, but you know, like yes. vitamin C, like it's it's really frustrating. Yeah, tocopherol or however you say that vitamin right. E, you know. Yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I I, I love. I, I completely agree with you in this answer. You know, my mission is to help people develop a healthier relationship with food. And I think that the idea of completely avoiding processed foods is just, um, it's not realistic and it, it takes away from the enjoyment. And it also just adds a lot of anxiety and stress because sometimes a processed food is a must. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's, as you said, okay. But I also respect what you're saying too. Like we still don't know everything about processed foods, um, the ingredients they're adding to these processed foods, what they're packaging in them. So yeah, there is a, a little element of what what am I eating? Is it safe? But 
if we overthink everything, that just leads to that, yeah, that that anxiety, and that we don't want, and we don't want that. So that's why, if we can just you know limit our processed foods and try to incorporate more whole foods as much as we can, generally speaking, I think that we're we're going to be better off. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's just finding that that balance that works. And it's going to be a little bit different for everyone, depending on what your priorities are, what your budget is. You know, for some people, you know, having something that has a more sustainable packaging is really important. For someone else, it might be um, the cost. Or for someone else, you know, it might be the nutrition label. I think we all have different priorities and we have to respect each other's priorities. But you, you, like you said, you, you can't get to the place where, you know, and I've been at that place where you're in the aisle of the grocery store and you're just like, well, you know, is it GMO or is it organic or is that sustainable package? Is it fair trade? Is it this? Is it that? And you're just like paralyzed, like you can't put anything in your cart. And that's just not a happy, fun place to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, that brings me to the next uh, the next topic, which is it, it, probably it's going to be the same answer. But, you know, I used to hear this a lot more, too. I don't hear this as much, but I actually just had recently a client tell me this, that they shop the perimeter of the store. They never go into the center of the store. <laughs> so oh. what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's probably very similar to what you just said, but anything else? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it started because someone was like, well, the vegetables are usually on the perimeters and, you know, the, uh-huh. the fresh meats and the dairy or whatever on the perimeter. But, you know, at my grocery store, that's also like the beer is on the perimeter and the donuts are on the perimeter. So, and, you know, the, the dry beans are in the center and the oats are in the center and just like so many healthy things are in the center. Um, so no, I do not think anyone should follow that. I just think that's an outdated, <laughs> just oversimplification of, um, shopping, you know, and I always yeah. joke that like, you know, my pet would starve if I never went into the center of the, of the grocery store, like there's stuff you need in there. Like, so true. do not, do not follow that. Yeah. yeah. That's my, and, my message. And not to mention how many processed foods are actually wholesome and, nourishing and a great supplement to, you know, uh, any diet. I mean, I think of all the processed foods that, you know, aren't necessarily ultra processed, but are definitely processed in a box, you know, add water or open an inch and put in the microwave, you know, my favorite little rice pouches. Yes, I love those. (laughs) Those are the best. They are. Uh, Right. And that, you know, using, using something like that can mean the difference between like, at least for me, eating like a good lunch or like, you know, either skipping lunch or grabbing something, you know, and, and not like having a nourishing meal, you know, like yeah. it's yeah. important. And if a rice pouch will help you have that nourishing lunch, like buy the rice pouch, you know? Ooh, such a good point. I often will talk with people who have, um, oh gosh, I can't I can't think of what it's called, but when you, you just can't, decision paralysis is what yeah. I'm looking for when it comes to lunch, especially. And so they get to the point where they have, they can't even make up their mind. So they just don't eat anything. And that's exactly where those types of items come into, into play because you could open your pantry and look, I, you know, I can have this and it will only take five minutes and it sounds delicious and it'll be nourishing to my body. And there we go, moving on. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Okay. Next one, which I will tell you is one of my biggest pet peeves, and I still don't get it. I don't get it when companies say this because I think it's meaningless, but I love to hear your take. What is the deal with this thought of 
eating clean. And and what does it even mean? What does it mean when people say that? I mean, I'm sure that there's a variety of meanings to each person. But when you see it on a label, is there actually any um, like government uh, validated term or definition for eating clean or, or clean, clean label? No. Yeah. Clean is not defined um, at all by like the FDA or something. And it, this one drives me crazy because I feel like it's so judgy. You know, it's really? so uh-huh. like, like this is clean, but the the package next to the next to this one is dirty. You know, it's just yes. it, there's such a and usually the foods that are quote unquote clean are also like more expensive and maybe they're organic or whatever it is that makes them more expensive. And um, it just puts this um, it puts this good and bad uh, judgment on food, which just should not be there at all. So yeah. I, I think that people generally use it to mean less processed or made with sort of simple ingredients, like maybe the, the ingredients that you would have in your baking pantry or whatever, your pantry at home. Um, okay. But it is it doesn't have I, I also I think it, it creates a health halo over a lot of things like, well, these brownies are clean because we've made them with coconut sugar. It's like, no, they're still brownies. You just use a different kind of sugar. Um, so I just think it's it's not to me, it's not anything to pay attention to. Like it's just marketing on the front of a label or if someone has a recipe online that's like clean, you know, clean chocolate fudge. Like, well, no, you know, like it probably just means they used, you know, honey instead of white sugar or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that they're sugar free or no sugar. That's the other thing that drives me crazy. The clean, it'll be like clean clean cupcakes with no sugar and then you look and there's like a cup of molasses and you're like well that's sugar too <laughs> so yeah. um, so you kind of have to be careful of of that label and and just don't I don't know don't let yourself get caught up in that um well I am clean because I you know I'm virtuous because I'm eating these clean brownies versus yeah. you know I'm dirty if I have Duncan Hines brownies like that's just you know, that's ridiculous yeah, it's kind of that whole like good bad dichotomy. It's just yeah. bringing that back essentially. Yeah, and and you remind me too. Like I feel like a, I did this a lot when I worked as a grocery store dietitian, where I would talk to people about how if you know we have so many items in the store that were labeled organic, or people thought they were healthier. For example, gummy bears or fruit snacks or brownies, like you said, or cake mix. You know, just because they were organic, people are yeah. like, oh, that's a healthy choice. And I'm not saying yeah. it's an unhealthy choice, but right. it's definitely not. Just because it has that that key word, that health halo, organic or clean, it doesn't mean it's going to give you any more nutrients right. than the other, uh, you know, non-clean ingredient or non-organic counterpart. Exactly. Okay. All right. So I guess, well, I, I want to go back though. When, when companies say, is it even legal to put I haven't seen it a lot, but I know I have seen companies use the term clean or because there's no definition. Does that mean like it's fair game? Anyone can anyone yeah, can I mean, say that on their label. Yeah, you can put a lot of things on the the front is just marketing messages. I mean, you can't, yeah. you know, you can't buy law, say, cures cancer or something on the front of the label, but you can say an awful lot on the front. And yeah. for the most part, whatever's on the front, it is marketing. If you want the real nitty gritty, obviously, you turn it over and you look at the ingredients or you look at the nutrition facts panel or, you know, if you really want to know, okay, what's in this and what nutrients does it provide or not yeah. provide. But the front is just is mostly just like a commercial 
Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Okay. We've got two more. The next one is white foods. You know, people will sometimes say, I don't eat anything white. And, you know, and in that often also includes a lot of vegetables that are white, um, but no white foods. What are your thoughts on that? That this is sort of like, I think at least what I've heard from people is this can sometimes come from physicians, from doctors who, you know, maybe somebody has high blood sugar or the doctor thinks they need to lose weight and they'll say, cut out white foods. And I'm sure it means it's sort of shorthand for like stop eating bread and pasta, which is, Uh. you know, what a terrible thing to tell somebody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't eat bread and pasta anymore. Um, But, uh, you know, when you think about like how, how many nutritious foods are white, you know, like rice is white and cauliflower is white and onions are white. Like there are a lot of milk is white. You know, there are a lot of like nourishing foods that are white. And Mm -hmm. I think just it's so demoralizing for someone to be told, cut out bread and pasta. You know, you and I as dietitians know that like that's not going to work for most people. And telling them you can't have these things anymore is just it's just not fair to that person. It's just not realistic for most people. So um, but I I still hear that one a lot. Like I don't eat white foods, you know, yeah. And I I do think it really just means bread and pasta. But um, as we both know, you don't if if you don't want to, you don't have to cut, you know, those foods out of your diet completely. Right. And let's not forget, too, that a lot of those foods are enriched with nutrients. So, yes, absolutely. I I, sometimes I prefer white bread, especially like a sourdough bread, for example. Yes. (laughs) Love sourdough. And, And oftentimes... Well, maybe not sourdough, but most white flours are enriched with all the nutrients yep. that were removed during the um, refining of the grain process. Yes. So it's not like you're missing out on the nutrients. Will there be less fiber? Yes. But are you eating bread for fiber? Probably not. Right. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of places you can get fiber. Yeah. And I, and I think something else I like to remind people is that Okay, so you're eating white bread, um, and maybe maybe white bread is something that you fear because you've been told not to eat it for a long time, or you've been told it's quote unquote unhealthy. But rarely are you eating just a piece of white bread, right? Wow. Usually you're eating it between some meat or some type of a protein or a vegetable, uh, or you're eating it with some butter or avocado on top, like some type of a fat. So. I don't remember the last time anyone, not even my kids, have just eaten straight up bread um, with nothing else complementing it or straight up pasta. Usually they have some olive oil drizzled on it or some Parmesan cheese or some sauce. So I think that's another way to look at it. Not that there's anything wrong with eating straight up bread. I don't want to indicate that. But yeah, if we look at it that way, too, it, it, it's yeah, I, there's there's no need to fear it, you know? Yeah. And white potatoes, one of the, you know, that's another thing that people are oh, potatoes. Uh, I forgot potatoes. Yeah. Potatoes. Yeah. So good for you. I think I think that they're like yes. the number one source of potassium. Everyone thinks bananas, but actually and they potatoes. have vitamin C in them, which is like, yes, weird. You know, you wouldn't think that. But yeah. like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe it is vitamin healthy. C that I'm thinking about. Maybe it's not potassium, but I think they have potassium too. Most fruits and vegetables have potassium. Yeah, they do. You're right. But you're right. Vitamin C. And, and no one ever thinks that. We think of oranges. and Right. Uh, yeah, citrus foods, but yeah, potatoes for sure. Yeah. All right. Last one, Sally. And I'll admit 
This is even one that I sometimes get confused by, and that is salt. Um, I, I, I know it's just generally speaking, most of us are getting too much salt and salt in general isn't great for us. But is it just for those who are salt sensitive? Uh, what's the deal with salt? Yeah. So, um, you know, and I'm not saying like eat as much salt as you want and everyone can, you know, <laughs> eat salt with reckless abandon. But, um, you know, it, it's it's a little bit tricky because they're, um, you know, the dietary guidelines, as we know, um, suggests about it's 2300 milligrams, no more than that a day, which is about a teaspoon of salt. But the American Heart Association actually recommends going a lot lower. It's about 1500 milligrams um, per day. And that's not a whole lot. Um so they recommend a much lower intake. And, you know, <laughs> I, I researched this for a magazine article I wrote a few years ago, and the researchers were saying, you know, when you try to go that low, it's actually quite hard um, yeah. to go that low. And most people get around 3,400 milligrams. So that is more than the dietary guidelines recommends. And yes, as you said, there are some people who are salt sensitive, which means their blood pressure will respond more to sodium than other people. So for instance, my dad salts everything. He salts like individual bites. He salts pizza. He salts green apples, like he salts watermelon. <laughs> and the man has very <laughs> low blood pressure. He mm. is not salt sensitive. Uh, same with me. I love salt. I have very low blood pressure, just like my dad. Someone else might have, you know, if they eat a lot of salt, if they were to salt their pizza, which I just can't even believe salting pizza. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, that their blood pressure might, you know, might rise because of that. So, um, you know, you sort of have to know yourself. You obviously have to keep tabs on your blood pressure. High blood pressure is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, getting those regular checkups and knowing your blood pressure is really important. However, for some, especially like young women who are really active, for instance, and who are trying to eat a really healthy diet, they may really be restricting their salt. And as a result, may end up like really fatigued and tired and not able to do their workouts because they're actually not getting enough salt. And when you add a little bit of salt back in, suddenly they have more energy. And if you do work out a lot, you can kind of tell if you're a, they call it a salty sweater. So like if you're, you know, if you're working out to the extent or exercising, whatever you're doing that your, you know, your, um, your shirt or your hat or whatever is, you know, soaked with sweat or, you know, has sweat marks on it. And when that dries, you can sort of see like a white sort of mark around the, the um, sweat and that is salt. So if you tend to be a salty sweater, you have to really be careful that you're not cutting back on salt so much that you're losing a lot of salt and you're getting fatigued in your workouts. The other thing about salt is that people automatically think of the salt shaker and they think, oh, salt is bad. So I'm not going to put any salt on these steamed vegetables. I'm going to eat them plain. Right. Oh. And then it's like, <laughs> well, they don't taste that good when you just have like plain steamed broccoli with nothing on it. You know, it's mm -hmm. much better with just a little bit of kosher salt or something like that and just regular salt, whatever it is. And so I think when people don't think about the packaged and processed foods, that's where most of our sodium comes from, like 75% of it. Only like 10% comes from the salt shaker. And yeah. so what I hate to see people doing is avoiding the salt shaker, which can make food taste really, really good, can help people eat more vegetables, for instance, um, with a little sprinkle of salt. You yeah. know, keep that salt shaker around. I mean, obviously use it judiciously. But then if you're worried about sodium, like cut back on the 
the restaurant food, restaurant food, as we know, is very salty. You know, if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you know how much salt they add uh, to restaurant food and packaged and processed foods have a lot of salt in them too. So, um, you know, uh, salt, obviously you got to be smart. You got to know your blood pressure, but the one place you don't want to cut back on salt is seasoning those really healthy foods. I mean, obviously you can, you can use uh, lower sodium, you know, herbs and different things like that, but like little sprinkling of salt on your broccoli is a good thing, I think. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I couldn't, I mean, I do love vegetables. I love vegetables, but I, salt actually, it, it's not even just about the salt flavor. Salt actually brings out the flavor yeah, in right. the food. <laughs> so it, it has other food. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that it, I mean, think about bread, for example. I want to say, I think bread has salt in it yep. because it needs to, it needs it to rise, but also like non-salted bread, even just a little bit of salt in bread goes such a long way for yeah. adding flavor to that bread. I mean, it is Same with like any baked so good. Important. They always say like, do not yes. cut out the salt in your baked goods because it's there, it serves a purpose. And when you think about you make an entire batch of something and may have like a half a teaspoon of salt in it, right. you know, um, which, you know, is going over like 12 servings or whatever. So um, yeah. I think it's just like a misconception that the salt shaker is, you know, bad and evil. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that you agree. I mean, I, I do. I also want to mention and I and I feel like I remember this from from school. But even if for those who are not salt sensitive, I am also not salt sensitive. I will say I add salt to everything. But I do have in the back of my mind that a high sodium diet might actually cause you to leak more calcium into your urine. Is this OK? I'm probably putting you on the spot and I should probably Google this. But I remember learning this in school. And I and, and what do I even mean by high? I have no idea. Um, yeah, I it's something that, that I've always thought I about. I don't know. I, I could see that being the case. But I also just don't think that a hot, you know, you're going to get a high sodium diet from salting your, your vegetables. Oh, you know, totally. Think, yes. You know, like, like those statistics of 75% of our sodium intake comes from packaged and processed food. And so, um, so yeah, that, that, that could very well be. Um, and you can also, another kind of um, important thing to know, we talked about potassium earlier and I kind of think of potassium as like the kryptonite to sodium. And so if yep. you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and get a higher intake of potassium, it can actually just sort of help uh, blunt those effects of the sodium in your diet. So, you yeah. know, I'm sure as you are, I'm a big fan of telling people to add more things or to eat more of something versus, you know, eat less of this or cut out this. So eat more fruits and vegetables and it will it will help um, your body with with the sodium intake. Oh, yeah. I love that you just said that. That's a really great way to end it instead of eat less sodium. Not that you said that, but yeah, eat more fruits and vegetables. It will, um, yeah, kind of cancel out that higher sodium intake. And you're exactly right. The salt shaker isn't doing it. It's, I would say, mainly the restaurant food. I mean, I worked in the yeah. restaurant industry for 10 years and I go to restaurants. I'm a human. Sure. Always. I mean, I had something the other day. It was, oh my gosh, it was so good. But it was probably, I mean, it was so salty. I mean, I felt like it was pure salt. Uh, it was a fish. It was a fish dish. Yeah. Um, but that's just what they do. They're not measuring. They're not, they're just, you know, ad lib. Yeah. And, when you watch the cooking shows or whatever on the Food Network, they're just like showering everything with yeah, tons of salt. They want to win. <laughs> and butter. Right, exactly. <laughs> Salt and butter for the win. 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, I looked up potatoes. I was right. It is one of the highest um, potassium sources of all the fruits and vegetables. I'm not oh, sure if it's higher than bananas. I can't confirm that. But uh, but yeah, another another um, check for the white food uh, potatoes. Yes, yes. All right, Sally. Well, thank you so much for going through those with us. I, I learned even something as a dietitian myself. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much uh, for your wisdom. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I absolutely love having Sally on the podcast, and I'm sure she will be on again. She's actually local, and I am uh, really love being able to say that she is a local dietitian that I could um, I mean, I could have lunch with her sometime. I've never done that. But I've actually in the past, uh, my past job, done a lot with her at her kid's school. So I've met her several times. And just like uh, other dietitians that I've, you know, read their their work and listened to them on podcasts like Julie Duffy Dillon, I get very excited when I uh, see them in the flesh. So Sally is one of those where whenever I see her or get to see her or hang out with her, it's like being around someone famous. And I just feel uh, so lucky to be able to do that. So just talking with her was such a pleasure. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive into my favorite new product or recipe. I'm doing a product this time. Maybe you've heard of these. It's the Enlightened Greek Yogurt Frozen Novelty Bar. So Enlightened is the brand. I will say they are a little bit diet culture-y, keto-esque type bars. I'm not going to lie. That is not why I chose this product obviously. Uh, I just actually, this was back when Nicole and I would do our taste test episodes. Once we bought these bars, it was the Greek yogurt mint chocolate bars. And we tasted them on, on one of our episodes live. And I remember liking them a lot. I'm pretty sure that Nicole did as well, but I kind of forgot about them for a while. And then at the store the other day, I bought them again. Even my kids like them. I will tell you this too. Cameron can smell yogurt from a mile away. I'm telling you, he's like, I don't know how how he does it, but I mean, if I open a yogurt in the basement, he can sell it up in his room. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> uh, but these bars, I was afraid he, there was no way he was going to eat them because they do kind of have like a Greek yogurty smell. Uh, but he absolutely loves them. I think you can even make them more satisfying by, I don't know, dipping them in melted chocolate or this is going to sound strange, but dipping them in whipped cream. Uh, I like to just go all out with my desserts. So they're not really sweet. Uh, they're very, I would say, light, almost in flavor as well. Not a heavy mint flavor, but they're just, the, I feel like, the, the perfect satisfactory, I don't know, the, the perfect amount of satisfaction for for me, I know, most nights. And those they've got those little chocolate chips in them that add some more deliciousness to the bars. They're cold, they're they're thick, and the texture is is really perfect. There's lots of other flavors, too. So if you don't like mint chocolate chips, again, it's enlightened. I will put a um, a link in the show notes so you can know exactly uh, what I'm talking about here. All right. Well, that's it for today. Coming up on February 26th, I will be talking about how to incorporate nutrition into your kids' diets without becoming an almond mom or an almond parent. Until then, treat yourself with the respect you deserve. Be the best friend you've always wanted and reach out to me at any time on Instagram at Nutrition Unmeasured or via email at trustyourbody at gmail.com.